When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hail Sunday, the NFL on CBS is back with a crazy talented crop of QBs out west, possible MVPs in the east, and matchups to remember. Sundays, the NFL is on CBS. It's the last stand, and here is your host, Brian Custer. That's right. It is the last stand. I'm Brian Custer. We bring you the biggest names in the sport. Joining me today is one of the best trainers in the sport of boxing. He's trained former champions, unified champions. He is Philly's finest, Stephen Breadman Edwards, with us on The Last Stand. Breadman, what's up? Welcome to The Last Stand. What's up, B? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was a couple of minutes late. I just got in from the gym, man. I know you said you didn't want me to do it on my, uh, on my uh, phone in the car. So I was running in here getting the computer up. It, you look good, and, and it's good to have you finally on the, sh- on the show. For those who don't know, and, and they obviously know who you are, but tell them, how did you get the nickname Breadman? Uh, <laughs> I always got to explain this. It don't have nothing to do with <laughs> boxing. Uh, it was a movie out called Cornbread Early Me in the 70s with a basketball. Larry Fishburne actually played in it when he was a little kid, and uh, it was a, a, a basketball player by the name of Jamal Wilkes. And uh, it was about a story of a guy in uh, New York. He, he could shoot real good. He was real good. And uh, he got killed. And um, and when I went out for my high school basketball team, um, like that first practice, I like went crazy, man. I hit, it was like a scrimmage. I probably hit like 12, 13 three-pointers. And they started uh, calling me cornbread. And then as I got older, I was like gambling a lot, making a lot of money. So they just start calling me bread. And it just stuck. Uh, but it don't have nothing to do with boxing, man. <laughs> I know, I, I, if I could make up a better story, I would, but that's just the truth. And it just stuck, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you're a Philly guy. Yeah. How did you then get into the sport of boxing? How did you then get into training world-class fighters? Um, I played I play basketball, and then I dislocated my knee when I was uh, my senior year. So it kind of like messed me up, not like physically, like because you get over it physically, but like mentally, you like, you know, every kid got aspirations of making it and all that kind of stuff. So when I got out of high school, I felt like that I still had um, more, you know, just more things to do. Like I had like energy to burn. So I just started going to the gym and I was just doing it like recreationally, like more as a hobby, just like boxing guys and like, you know, just sparring world-class guys i just come in just boxing i just like just liked it it was just more like pure it wasn't like i wanted to be you know muhammad ali or sugary robinson i just knew a lot about boxing and i just wanted to just go to the gym and stuff so i just took like just just box you know like the same way you probably i see you do your workout i would just go to the gym but like i was like six three 155 pounds, you know, I was still in shape and I was just going there and just box guys all the time, just work out. And then, um, you know, I always like, 
respected boxing. So I knew, man, like you in the girls and you in the streets making money, you got to be careful, you know, with boxing. So, you know, I knew like I wasn't like totally into it because I kind of got into it like 18, 19 years old. So um, I did that for a few years, probably like to my mid 20s, really loud six or seven years, just always just in the gym, just on and off, just, you know, just boxing, just learning stuff for the little couple of exhibitions. And then as I got a little bit older, around 2009, kid came to me, asked me for some help. And I was like, all right, cool, no problem. And that kid happened to be Julian Williams. And so right when my first fighter, right out the bat, I got a world champion. And I'm just like, I saw him working out and I'm like, yo, you know what, man? You know, you need a lot of work. It's just a lot of stuff you're not doing, man. You got to take this serious. You can't be playing with this. You know, like, I told him everything that I knew, like, about the sport. Like, you can't just come in here. I was like, I did it. I left high school. I was in college. I was messing around with girls and going out partying. This is a sport you can't play with if this is what you want to do. So he was like, you know what? I don't have no other eggs in my basket. It's all into this. I said, cool, no problem. We're going to work. And... After that, just start training one guy in the next and in the next and the next. But that was my first guy. And it was um, it was actually easier with him because I didn't have to spread my time. Like, he got all yeah. of my 100% time. So, you know, believe it or not, like, you know, sometimes people be like, damn, you got a champion with your first guy. That's the easiest guy because you got the blank canvas with him. So it's like you, um, you know how you see, like, hip-hop where the first album is the best one? Well, a lot of like that's a lot like your first guy in boxing because you put everything into him because your whole day is just dedicated to him. So now that I got like five or six guys, what I got to do is this guy needs to work on this. That guy needs to work on that. So it's a little different. I still can give him my all, but you just have to manage your time a little bit better. So when it's your first guy, like I didn't pick up a second guy until three years later. I trained Julian from 2010 to 2013, just me and him. I didn't get a second guy until Karan Davis came along, until he came out the amateurs. So then you start building. Um, so um, that's pretty much the story, and everything else just took off from there. And, and as you you became really um, wise and, and, and very good at your job, what, what trainer had the biggest influence on you? Oh, I get asked that often too. I never like served a really an apprenticeship under another trainer. Um, I kind of just like, you know, um, I already knew a lot about boxing, but knowing a lot about boxing, know a lot about training is different. So I kind of just studied. I knew what the human body do. You know, uh, I was always athletic. You know, I knew what times a guy's supposed to run and things like that. I know how I felt when I was in the ring. So I applied that all. I think that the two guys, you know, I don't want to like, you know how sometimes people shoot the arrow and then draw the bullseye? I don't want, mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of things I learned as I went along, but the two guys that like helped me the most, because the Phillies trainers, they, Philly trainers, a lot of them is haters. I'm be honest with you. They don't like want to see nobody succeed. And I, I didn't have like somebody say, put their arm around me and go, I ain't, I didn't have that. But I sat and I watched Nazem Richardson from afar. And he befriended me and we would talk on the phone. He didn't teach me how to train, but I picked up little things from him. I picked up how optimistic he was. I picked up how he, um, 
um, how he talked his guys through around. I don't know if you ever hear me. Like, I did it naturally, but I picked up on how he is. Like, if you hear me on the mic, people say that my voice carries. Like, I don't, in real life, I don't really talk loud like that. But in the, in, the, in the ring, I'm like, you know, good shot, man. Move to your left, move to your right. Keep your jab going. Like, I learned that from Nazem. And the uh, other guy who probably helped me the most, who reached out to me and was like, told me, like, I think you're a good young trainer. I heard about you, man. I heard you doing your thing. You got a kid. That wasn't a national level kid, but you know you're doing good with him. And he asked me, he asked somebody for my number, and we became really close friends from then on. And that was Virgil Hunter. Mm -hmm. um, yep, he reached out to me in like 2011, and uh, we probably talk like once a week to this day. And um, wow, so those are the two guys who probably I would say was like um, my mentors, but my mentors from afar. You know, those, yeah, those was the two got, guys. Yeah. Yep. So, so you, you've begun this new partnership uh, and Caleb Plant and certainly helped him to a spectacular knockout uh, there against Andre Durrell. How did you guys, how, how did you guys hook up? Well, what happened is like, like if you put the same promotional company, you, you guys will be on the same cards. So you just form different, like, um, you just become colleagues, you become friends, you become cool with guys. So like, like I've been around like a lot of the guys that's been with PBC for the last 10 years because Julian signed with PBC in 2012. So Caleb Ford on a few of his undercards, like I've been around them. So he's always been cool. And I'm cool with Anthony Durrell. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, you, you get cool with guys, you know, you get cool with trainers, you know. I, I'm cool with pretty much all the trainers, Ronnie Shields, you know, Mike Stafford, all the guys that have been there, Kevin Cunningham. You say, what's up, man? You talking? You know, how y'all doing? You know, how was camp? So I always knew him. We always talk. We always busted up. Same way I know the people from Showtime. It's like one of those things. Yeah. So um, I always thought highly of him. I thought he was, always thought he was a good fighter. I always thought he was real um, athletic. I liked him. Actually, you know, matchmaking is piggybacking. So even though he's bigger than Julian, he fought a couple of Julian's uh, old opponents. Like, you know, they remix guys until they can't mix mm -hmm. them no more. So there's a guy named Jamar Freeman and Julian fought at 54. Mm -hmm. Caleb was trying to make 60. Caleb fought him at 60. So um, we always talked. We was always cool. I was in Vegas when he was training for Canelo. I went past the gym and watched him spar. I wished him words of encouragement. And after the fight, you know, I heard from... Um, one of the higher ups at PBC that he was going to be looking for a new coach. And, uh, you know, me and three other trainers was the, uh, candidates. So he called me and, um, and I told him, I was like, look, man, you know, um, I know people might be recommending me, but I don't want you to feel no pressure in picking me as the trainer. You know, me and you still going to be cool. You know, it ain't it ain't no sweat off my back. I don't want you to feel no type of pressure because this is a big decision in your life. And, I, you know, if you pick me, I want it because you think I'm the best guy because you want me, not because somebody else told you to pick me. And so I went out to Vegas in April. We worked out. I really liked what I saw. I'm assuming he liked what he saw. He came to Philly twice in the summer. So I kind of had the hint that I would get the job. And then uh, he told me, like, look, man, I'm going to pick you. You fit my style the best. Let's get to work. I already have my opponent. You got experience working against them. Anthony Terrell. And I'm like, cool. 
you know, I'm not a diva. I didn't need much. You know, I was like, all right, that's cool. Let me know when the date is, you know, make sure y'all give me a nice Airbnb. I don't want to be rooming <laughs> with no fighters. You know, I need my privacy. And uh, they was like, cool, you know, and that was just that. And then we just had a real oh, good camp, you know. A great camp, great camp, and certainly we, a we spectacular it, win. It was um, uh, it was one of the best. I, it, it probably was the best camp I ever uh, been part of. To be honest with you, he's mm -hmm. real professional and he's real, real detailed. Where like, as a trainer, all I got to do is show up. I don't got to ask him to do nothing extra. Everything he literally like his wife prints out a piece of paper, like a schedule that we gonna follow all week. So it's easy, you know what I mean? Like. It's not it's not hard to run a camp with a guy that disciplined, that detailed. You know, every single thing, every day is planned out perfectly. So it it wasn't a hard camp, you know, to to deal with at all. Uh, my hardest part was 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 getting home on the weekends to see my kids. You know, that, that was, yeah. it, 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 it was an easy camp. It really was. He he's a real pleasure to work with from his professionalism because a lot of fighters. They kind of wear you out emotionally when you got to tell them to do little things all the time. But he's not like that. You know, he does everything he's supposed to do all the time, 100% of the time. Kamikoto makes great high-quality Japanese steel kitchen knives using traditional techniques from Japan. And Kamikoto uses only steel sourced from mills in Japan. And each blade is crafted using techniques that have been honed and perfected by generations of nice smiths. Each Kamikoto knife goes through a rigorous 19-step process that takes several years from start to finish to complete. Then each knife is individually inspected and comes with a lifetime guarantee. And each knife comes in a beauty, beautiful, beautiful, heavy-duty ash wood box like you see right here to make sure the knife is stored safely. It also makes Kamikoto a great gift because of the wooden box the knives are presented in. And the product range features a vast array of Japanese steel knives, such as the three-piece Kanpeki knife set, which includes the Nakuri vegetable knife, it's seven inches long, the slicing knife, it's eight and a half inches long, and the utility knife, which is five inches long. The Kamikoto Sentoku blade, seven inches long. All the blades and the handles have satin finish for a subtle, yet stunning luster, and because of their single bevel edge, Kamikoto knives can achieve an unbelievably sharp edge you just can't get with other knives. They can cut through your ribeye like butter, and you can maintain the edge of your blades with one of Kamikoto's sharpening whetstones. You know, Kamikoto knives are used by several chefs working at Michelin star restaurants all over the world. Kamikoto is now running a Black Friday sale and offering our viewers an extra $50 off any purchase with the discount code LASTSTAND on top of our special offers. So go to kamikoto.com slash LASTSTAND to get your knife set. So um, Caleb and now um, David Benavidez have agreed to fight now in early 2023. I know, you, obviously, you're, you're Caleb's trainer here. How do you see that fight playing out in the ring? That's a great fight, man. That's a great fight. I'll tell you something funny, Brian. Uh, Caleb called me last week, 
and was like, I can't sit down, man. I don't know what the hell is wrong with me. So I'm like, what, man? What you, like, were you lifting weights? You got some kind of weird injury? I'm like, what you mean? Like, I said, I just read that you signed up in the V. That's fight. Now you're telling me something wrong with you. And he was like, man, my nuts is so big. I'm fighting that dude. <laughs> <laughs> so he got like a funny sense of humor. He had me cracking up. So I'm like, all right. I'm like, what's the date? And he's like, I don't know yet. I don't know if it's going to be April or May, but we bumping. And I'm like, cool. Um, I think it's a great fight. It's the perfect style matchup, you know, where you got the pressure fighter, where's the boxer. Um, it's a great fight. I got a lot of respect for David Benavidez, man. I don't disrespect fighters. It's a hard sport. Everybody wants to be a super critic on what guys should do this and what guys should do that. Like, uh, it's a hard sport. So I got all the respect in the world for David Benavidez. Uh, it's a great fight. Uh, we got our work cut out for him, but I'm confident in Caleb, that Caleb can pull it off. Uh, Darrell was on the last stand, and he said, listen, same thing that you said. He said, I think it's going to be a great fight. But he says, boxers with movement give Benavidez problems. But I think Benavidez's hand speed and punching power will be the difference. What do you say to that? Um, look, he's been in there with both of them. That's his opinion. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't. Get, actually, whenever somebody is asked to predict a fight, all it is is an educated guess. Don't none of us know for sure. You know what I mean? Like, so people... That's Anthony has a right to his opinion. I, most people think that Dave is gonna beat Caleb, and that's cool. I'm I'm with that too. Like that makes the victories better, you know. Um, that's his opinion, you know. So it's 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 up to me and Caleb to after the fight. Some people to say, damn, man, you know, you get more respect for taking fights that people think you're gonna lose, you know. And guys, you know, in this era, they taking fights with. They taking 80, 20 fights, 70, 30 fights. Everybody know that they're going to win the fight. You still got to go out and execute, but very rarely guys taking 50, 50 fights or fights as the underdog. Right now, Caleb, you know, he pulled this off. He putting PBC on his back. Don't nobody want to fight David Benavidez. He's supposed to be the monster. So I hope everybody say that after the fight because that's what he's supposed to be. And this is the third guy Caleb fought. That he's the underdog. He was the underdog against Uzateki. He was off a year. Uzateki, he don't look like a monster now, but he looked like a monster after he beat Andre Durrell. Right. He fought Canelo as an underdog. Now he's fighting David Benavidez as an underdog who everybody ducking. So, you know, you got to get a kid his, his, his prop. That's a real hard fight, you know. And, um, you know, guys ain't making these fights. They just not. Yeah. You know, they just not. They People find a reason not to make fights, and he found a reason to make the fight. So you got to get it, dude, his props. And um, I'm looking forward to it, you know. So whatever anybody have to say, that's fine. You know, I don't argue with nobody's opinion because that's what it is. It's an opinion. Um, but the fact is, is that Caleb didn't have to take this fight right away, and he took it. And um, we're going to see what happens when the um, fight happens. You, you, you. Let's hear your opinions on a couple of things. Uh, you got a chance to see him up close and personal in Minneapolis. What about David Morrell Jr. at 168 pounds? What do you think about him? Good fighter, real good, real good talent. Tall, he's strong. He got heavy hands. He's athletic. Uh, he's probably a little bit immature 
I don't mean immature like he acts like a kid. I'm talking about maybe, maybe not mature enough for the elite elite guys just yet. But in a year, a couple more fights, he's he going to be a problem. He could fight. I, I like him a lot. He's a um, very, very, very high ceiling. Uh, obviously, Tank and Ryan Garcia have agreed to fight. Now it's about the particulars and getting that squared away in 2023. What do you think about that fight, Tank and, and Ryan Garcia? That's a great fight. Uh, Ryan Garcia has a trainer that I really, really respect. Um, Joe Goosen. Um, I really, I really like Joe. Uh, his assistant trainer, Jonathan, they're real good. I'm cool with them. Um, Tank is probably most underrated guy around, man. Tank is Tank should be on a pound for pound list, man. He's like a super talent. Um, he got uh, a two-fisted attack. You know, uh, he's fast. He's real composed. He don't mind if he lose a couple of rounds. He's still like he don't panic. Um, he got a variety of punches. He hit guys with overhand lefts, uppercuts, hooks. He's quick. He make quick decisions in the ring. He's always in real good shape. He seemed like he got a good chin. Tank is the real deal in my opinion. You know, um, a lot of people just give him a lot of criticism and they talk about different things. But what my eyes tell me, you know, he is a tremendous fighter. Um, obviously you want to see him against guys of his talent level like Garcia and Haney and uh, Stevenson and Loma and things like that but um, Tank can go man you know I probably if you asking me I probably slightly favorite Tank because I don't know if Ryan is uh, I think Ryan is equally talented offensively but I think defensively Ryan um, you know he's not as uh adept as Tank. You you seem like you can hit Ryan with a bigger shot than you can hit Tank with. And uh, mm. you don't want Tank to hit you with those kind of shots, man. You know, so it's a close, close fight. But if you make me pick, you can hit Ryan a little bit cleaner than you can hit Tank. Tank's a little bit more defensively responsible. And in the shootout between big punchers, that, that's going to matter. Um, you're back together with uh, Julian, uh, Julian Williams, J-Rock. And, and I guess the, the, the question, I guess I have, has he peaked? Do I think he's peaked? Honestly, yes, I do think he's peaked. But I do think that he can get back to where he's at. So if you're asking me, do he, has he peaked? Probably, you know, he's 32. So by the laws of averages, yeah, he's peaked. Uh, but I do think that he can get back to his old form if mentally he gets right. You know, right now it's, it's a mental thing. He has to, um, he has to get mean. He has to get hungry again. His skill set is there. Like you can see his skill set. You can skills is repetition, Brian. That's something that you do all the time, over and over again. But he has to get physically more like robust. He has to be with a real, like he has to he has to get a, like a, a a real program all the time to get his muscles hard, to get his body hard. He got to suffer. His mind has to be where he was when he was coming up to get back to that level. You know, um, I think he can get back, but it's up to him. You know, like you have your hunger has to be different once you already made money. I'm not saying he's not hungry no more, but sometimes you could lose an edge when you made the money that he's made when you don't need boxing anymore. Things change a little bit in your psyche. Sometimes they change without you knowing that they change. You know, sometimes you're just not willing to go through the little things that you're willing to go through. Um, but uh, the last performance, because guys is, is not active in this era, 
you always it's hard to assess things because sometimes you're dealing with ring rust. Sometimes you're dealing with a little bit of apprehension because you haven't been in the ring for a while, you know. And um, unfortunately for him, you know, he's fought uh, three times in two years, you know. Um, so uh, three times in almost three years. So that's a factor, you know. So it's hard to really assess, but I still see him being capable in the gym, he just has to really grind in between these fights. And you can't have a pity party about it. You can't, like, nobody's fighting a lot in this era. So you got to grind yeah. in between fights until you get that call. And then you got to you gotta show out when it's time. You know, you got to show up when it's time to show up. So it's as simple as that. But do, do, you, do you see him being a world champion? If he wants to be one, do, I do you think see him being be a one world champion at 160? Okay. Okay. If he wants to be got one, it, if he it, puts the it. work in, if he puts the work in, he can. Hmm. Interesting. Hey, established titles is a fun, novel way to preserve the natural woodlands of Scotland while helping global reforestation efforts. You know, it's a perfect project based on historic Scottish customs where landowners are referred to as lairds or lords, ladies in English. And the pack gives you at least one square foot of dedicated land on a private estate in Edelston, Scotland, and an official certificate like this one right here with a crest. You know, your certificate features a unique plot number with which you can see the exact location of your land. Established Titles plants a tree with every order and work with global charities. One tree planted and trees for the future to support global reforestation efforts. Now, the cool perks are, you could officially change the prefix of your name to Lord or Lady and get it on your credit card, plane tickets, etc. They even have couple packs that come with adjoining plots of land. Now, the first 200 people purchasing a title pack and using my link will effectively be next to my plot within a few minutes of walking distance. And depending on how many of you Want to become a lord or a lady? We can build our own little last stand kingdom. Listen, established titles makes an amazing last minute gift, and they're actually running a Black Friday sale, their biggest sale of the year. Plus, if you use the code last stand, you get an additional 10% off. So go to establishedtitles.com slash last stand to get your gifts now and help support the channel. Again, EstablishedTitles.com. Last stand for an additional 10% off. You talked about guys being active. Why do all these high-profile fights keep falling apart? Obviously, Spence and Crawford is the one that's got the boxing world talking like, oh, that was the fight everybody wanted, and, and it falls apart. Why, why do these fights like that fall apart? I think it's for a multitude of different reasons. It depends on the fights, and you got to judge each one specific specifically. Um, you know, with, with, with Spence and Crawford, I just think it's a simple thing of Spence being the A-side, and he, um, you know, he has the three belts, and he's done bigger numbers, and for as great as Crawford is, I think Crawford is probably the best fighter in the world right now. Um, Spence is the A-side. So, you know, it's not going to be 50-50, you know. And Earl's a great fighter. And, you know, you got two stubborn guys. I think they want to fight. I do. 
I don't think neither one of them scared of each other. I think they both guns. I think they both killers. I think they both want to fight. It's just a matter of, you know, like, you know, Earl, like, I'm the A-side. You got to you gotta deal with that, you know? And that's just, I think that's what it's coming down to. But I don't really want to speak on nobody else's team because I'm cool with both teams. You know, it's really not my place. But I just think that sometimes, you know, pride, you know, it happens with these fights. And it's not nothing wrong. You got to be prideful to be in boxing. You know, like, this is a prideful animalistic sports. So you all, everybody's in this sport got to be prideful. Sometimes you can't take everything somebody gives you. So I'm not saying Terrence is wrong. I'm not saying Earl is wrong. But I think that when you got two bull strong guys like that, they can't come to an agreement. Some, like, somebody's going to have to give if they want to fight. You know, it's, that, it's just that simple. Somebody's going to have to, like, they're going to have to give. You know, that's one of the reasons why you got to be careful with fighters being involved in the negotiations of something this big. That's what you hire your team for. Because when fighters get in the middle of the negotiations, they start saying stuff back to each other. And they, they animals on the inside, you know what I mean? So it's like, man, I'm not giving the inch. So you can't, you know, that's 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 why you hire your team. That's why you pay your team the percentages, you know, to do that for you. Because if two fighters do it, you know, sometimes they can, they may can come to an agreement. And then sometimes, you know, they lock horns and it's like, you got to you gotta give to my will. So, you know, um, it's a tough situation, man. I used to be confident that the fight was going to get made. I think it was too much money on the table, but both guys are both strong. And it's like, you know, nobody wants to give, you know, and it's, it's going to be tough now, you know, because uh, Spence ain't going to stay at 47 for long. You know, he's a big guy, you know, and it's going to be tough. And then you got the emergence of that kid in this. Who the hell want to fight a 25-year-old kid that talented? You know, and it's not even about ducking. Like, that kid is the real deal. Guys would rather fight people in their own age group than somebody 10 years younger. Nobody's going to come out and say that, but that's what – nobody 35 wants to fight somebody 25 that good. You want right. to fight somebody yep. in your own age group that got the same wear and tear on their body that you got. You know, and this ain't nothing to play with, man. You know, they, they, people can say what they want, how inexperienced he is. Well, he's inexperienced because won't nobody fight him. <laughs> Trust me, he inexperienced because people won't fight him. That kid is – a. He, he for real, for real, you know, so they got to hurry up and make this fight because I talk to him and it's like I see him in the gyms and when he see me, he be like, Brady, I want smoke. I'm on, I want to take no step aside money. I want to fight them dudes. If they say I'm too young, they should just beat me up. Let them beat me up. Let them prove it, you know, so he want to fight. <laughs> he want to fight for real, right? And that's the kid that ain't made the big money yet. When you young like that, your hunger level is different. Whatever they say he's not, somebody going to have to prove that to him. You know, and I'm not here advocating for nobody. You know, I don't have a horse in the race, but that kid want to fight. So hopefully Terrence and Earl make the fight with each other before he comes start bothering people and becoming mandatories and not stepping aside. Then you have another issue. Because you're from Philly and like myself, you've seen Boots in the gym. Um, how good is he, in your opinion? He's the best gym fighter i've ever seen with my own two eyes ever wow ever if he turned that into a real fight if he turns that at the top level from what i've seen in the gym he gonna win titles at 47 54 60 which only special fighters could do he gonna be a hall of famer and he gonna be the best fighter of the 2020s he is that wow. good 
He's a mixture of Roy Jones and Mark Two Sharp Johnson. I never seen him get beat up, and I never seen nobody get the better of him in back-to-back -back sparring sessions. And I've only seen him. I've only seen two people probably like walk away from a sparring session like, "Yo, he probably got the better of him that day." And that was like four or five years ago. I ain't seen mm. nobody get the better of him recently. Nobody. He's phenomenal in the gym. And I'm saying that in the gym because you still got to do it with the bright lights on, without hair gear and small gloves. But he's the best fighter I've ever seen in the gym. And I've been around the gym since the 90s. I've seen all of the best guys box. Melzick Taylor, Bernard Hopkins, anybody you can name of the last 30 years, I've seen him work in the gym. He's the best one I've ever seen in the gym, ever. Wow. And he's super consistent. Every time you see him box, always put on the show, no matter who it is. He can box three, four people, four-minute rounds. He always, always in the gym. He lived like a fighter, totally dedicated. Best fighter I've ever seen in the gym. Um, One thing that we, we had Julian on uh, about a year or so ago uh, on the last stand, and he said something. I want to get your 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 uh, opinion on it. He said, in his opinion, 70% of the world-class guys we're using some kind of PED. In your opinion, how problem is the PED use in the sport of boxing? I think it's a big problem, but the bigger problem is I don't think nobody really care like that because if you start catching guys right before fights, it's gonna mess up the promotion for the shows. Mm -hmm. So you put all of this money into these fights and then if you catch guys, then you, then, then you have another issue because shows fall out. And then you got to bring other opponents in and you got to do all that kind of stuff. So the more enhanced the product is, the better the product looks for the, for, for the networks and things like that. So I think the, the bigger issue is that nobody really wants to catch everybody that's messing around. You know, I think that um, mm -hmm. I don't want to get into percentages, but I think it's a big percentage. You're not having guys mm -hmm. cut 25, 30, 40 pounds on a regular basis and still having all their strength and all their energy and going out and fighting and being at that level consistently over and over again unless you're doing something. Um, you know, uh, if you want to catch guys, you just just start testing people out of uh, out of the eight-week window where they can't. And then you'll you'll start just, just pull up on the guy. Let's say a guy just fight. It's November. Let's say a guy just fight in November, right? He probably won't be scheduled to get in the fight till like, May or June. Pull up on him around January or February, put a needle in his arm. Because that's the time that he's trying to get his gains. So when he start camp, you know the people are going to come. They know. I'm not that smart, Brian. I'm not that smart. They know how to catch him if they want to catch him. I do think VOD is the best thing that ever happened to boxing. But it's one company, and it's hard to catch everybody, you know, so it's tough. Um, I mean, you see what happened. When, you know, I ain't going to say nobody. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, target nobody or anything like that because yeah. you didn't ask me that. I ain't trying to get into nothing with nobody about their personal <laughs> business. But it's uh, just, just test guys outside the eight-week window. That's all. Just randomly test them. You see them, see them doing all this weird stuff in the gym, acting all crazy and all strong, and they don't got to fight for seven, eight months. You kind of, you know, or, or see the guys that is the A-side fighters and they don't ask for no testing. It's, it's easy to... It's easy to see, you know, um, mm. but it's boxing. Like, you can't complain. Yeah. You got to do everything you're supposed to do. If you're going to be – nobody made us be in this sport. So it's just that simple, you know. Um, 
I don't try to be on the crusade for the testing, you know, it's just I try to protect my guys for as much as I can, you know, but it, it, I think it definitely does plague the sport. Look at look at Conor Ben, man. He he almost ripped poor Chris Algieri head off. Everybody like, oh God, he got better, he got better. Well, yeah, you wonder why he got better, right? Yeah, they're you know right. what I mean. Now Absolutely. you see why he got better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And don't nobody care unless you're part of the family, you part of the team of the guy who's the victim of that. You know, um, and they ain't suspending guys long enough. You suspend a guy a year, and fighting once a year anyway, or once every eight nine months anyway. Who cares? You know, he he not gonna care. It's worth it to him. It's worth it to him to do that just to get to that level, the set the seven figure level. And then if he can't use it no more, he still hit the lottery because he got there already. So. You know, it's part of the Good game, point. man. Good point. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Brian Custer. I want to talk to you about our partner, Athletic Greens. You know, I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted more energy. And I got to tell you, I absolutely love it. Athletic Greens doesn't taste super healthy. It's kind of mild, has that tropical taste. But I actually look forward to having it every single morning. So what is this stuff? Well, one scoop of delicious athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. And it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Listen, it helps support better sleep quality for you, recovery, and it supports mental clarity and alertness is what I love about it. You know, AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits, and it's one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself, and it's lifestyle friendly. So whether you're keto, uh, vegan, paleo, dairy-free, or gluten-free, Athletic Greens is for you, and it costs you less than $3 a day. So you're investing really in your health and it's cheaper than that cold brew habit that you may have. So additionally, for every purchase, Athletic Greens is going to donate to organizations, help to get nutritious foods to kids all across the country who are in need, including No Kid Hungry, which is right here in the U.S. By the way, two years ago in 2020, Athletic Greens donated over 1.2 million to meals to kids. Now, it is the time to reclaim your health, folks. And all you got to do is arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutritional uh, supplement. And listen, once we get into that cold flu season, this is something that you need because just one scoop of water every day with Athletic Greens and there's no need for the million of different pills or supplements to look out for your health. All you're going to need is Athletic Greens. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens wants to give you free a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. And all you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash last stand. Again, athleticgreens.com slash last stand athletic greens take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance brett man for everybody who comes on we we love when our people who watch and support 
Uh, we allow them to ask questions through social media. We got a number of them for you, so we'll get right to them here. These come from Twitter. Uh, King Leo asks, who's the most underrated fighter in the last five years, in your opinion? I said Javante Davis was underrated, but I'll probably say uh, Alexander Usyk. He's put together like Hall of Fame, all-time great type resume. I mean, my goodness. Um, Go to Undisputed at Cruiser and now be right there knocking on the door at heavyweight. Every time he got a big fight, he just raised his game up. He like a big, he like a money fighter. Like you could just bet on him to win eight rounds in like a big tough fight. Uh, So Usyk, you know, like very rarely do you see all-time greats come right before your eyes. I would say Usyk, man. He's putting together a great, great career. Uh, Omar asks, Jamel Charlo versus Tim Zhu. Give me your prediction. I would say Jamel Charlo by knockout. Tim Zhu's a good fighter. But when I saw the fight versus um, Terrell Gauthier, uh I'm sure Terrell wish he could get that fight back because he just – He was just, he had him. He was like reactive instead of proactive. Like there was so many holes and openings. You know, Terrell was like shelling up. He shows good fundamentals and stuff. But um, I'm not criticizing him. I'm just answering your question. He just like, he's not an alpha in the boxing ring. Well, Jamel Charlo is an alpha. Jamel Charlo is a killer. So those openings that Terrell Gauthier wasn't taking or waiting for Zoo to do something, Terrell, I mean, um, Jamel Charlo is going to be trying to knock Tim Zoo head off. You know, and, and um, recently, Jamel used to be kind of a one-two puncher. Yeah. He's the boxing move. He's developed a really good left hook recently. And, um... Unless he has a big come down from the uh, Brian Castano fight, because that can happen sometimes. You get a big fight, and then your next performance be a little bit, you know, not as good because you're not as up for the fight. Uh, and Zoo gets a lot better from when I seen him. And I'm not saying he's a bad fighter, but uh, he just seemed to be green to be dealing with a guy like Jamel. Jamel Charlo is probably a Hall of Famer. You know, if you become undisputed and you're the best. You turn out to be the best at a certain weight class in your era. Usually that equals the Hall of Fame. And uh, Jamel's probably a Hall of Famer. You know, I would have to, like, research numbers and everything, but he's probably a Hall of Famer because this was an underrated era of junior middleweights. You know, I don't know in many eras of junior middleweights where it was this much parity where so many good guys came along around the same birthday, around the same time. If you look, Jamel, Jared, Tony, all of them guys, Julian, all was born in 1990. You know, and Jamel is like, he's the most consistent out of all of them. And um, I don't know if Zoo can handle that. You know, he might be a little bit green to deal with that. I don't know if that style will bother Jamel, a guy coming right towards him like that. But I could be wrong. But if you're making me pick, I would say Jamel stop him somewhere midway through the fight. Steezo asks, uh, Breadman, what went wrong with J-Rock's career? Why hasn't he been able to gain the level of success he had previously? Um, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I think that uh, the her fight, you know, just being so perfect in camp like that, that's the best camp he ever had. So that turned out to be his career-defining performance, you know. And I think that uh, um, I think that, that took a lot out of him, just being so in, on point, training so hard, knowing that was the second chance at a world title. I think that that emotionally drained him. I think that um, uh, I think that he, he be, honestly he became distracted after the fight. Um, going into the Rosario fight, the honest truth is he was having a good camp, 
But, you know, I don't think he thought that Rosario was the threat that he should have been. And he got sick three weeks before the fight. You know, he caught the flu, but he wanted to fight. It was a, it was a big, huge career-high payday uh, opportunity to fight Jamel Charlo and the uh, unification if he won. So he didn't want to play, pull out of the fight, but he wasn't 100%. You know, it still make me a little bit sick because, and this is no knock on Rosario, but I get a lot of criticism, right, Brian? Like, why would you let Julian defend the title against a killer like Rosario? Bro, Rosario is the kind of guy you want to defend your first title shot with. He ain't no, no, he ain't Godzilla. He's a solid guy. Mm -hmm. You're a world champion of with the skill level Julian got. The same thing that Erickson Lubin, Jamel Charlo, and Brian Mendoza did to him, Julian was supposed to do with him. Let's keep it real. So I hear people getting interviews like, oh my God, they fought, um, they fought Banana Reserve in their first title shot. That, that's a standard first title shot. You know what I mean? You know, Julian got sick going into the fight. And then after that, you know, he got in his feelings because I told him that he was slacking off. And then he got, he, he went away from me for a, a year and like eight months. And, you know, we had our program, we did our thing. And coming back, you know, he got, he got, a, he got to make up for the lost time. And Tom is undefeated, you know. And then the politics of boxing, you know, everything, sometimes they avalanche you, Brian. You know what I mean? Because one thing is like a domino effect, one thing after the other. Like the fight with the guy, Vladimir Hernandez, Julian ain't lose that fight. He just looked like shit. But if you watch the fight and score it round by round, what happened is they looked at him like, man, you got a super high skill level. You shouldn't even be struggling with a guy like this. But he won in the first five or six rounds. The worst he could have got was a draw. He ain't lose that fight. A judge had that fight 7-3, but nobody cared to even cry robbery because he looked so bad down the stretch. So then he's off another year. So it's been a domino effect of nobody's fault except his own. But that's really what happened. He didn't lose that fight. I was watching that fight like, mm -hmm. all right, we won the first five, six rounds. I thought he won the first six rounds of the fight. Fight could have been easily 6-4. We'd have won. Everybody would have said he looked like crap, but it wouldn't have been a loss. I didn't seen guys get draws in that same fight. The judge had a 7-3 the other way, and nobody said nothing. So, um, you know, I just think that his mind, you know, Sometimes that success of winning a fight like that, it can burn you out and it can overwhelm you. And um, he gonna have to get it back mentally. I know I'm still in this corner. I'm still by his side, but I'm an honest guy, man. I tell guys the truth. Yeah. You know, just when you perform the way he performed against Jared Hurd, you're not supposed to lose against Jason Rosario. You're not supposed to struggle against Vladimir Hernandez. That's something in your mind. And he got to figure it out. Good stuff. By the way, real quick, uh, at 160, Jared Hurd now says he's going to campaign at 160 starting next year. Do you see a rematch between Julian Williams and Jared Hurd? It's a possibility. This is a business. They both they have yeah. a history. They produced a great, brutal fight. You know, that was a brutal fight for both guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a brutal fight. Um, possibility. I can see it. I like Jared, too. Jared's a cool guy. Uh, so, um, we'll see. You know, I... I okay. Um, We'll see. Well, we've come to the last segment of this show. It's called The Last Stand. I'm asking you a series of questions, Bradman. You just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Ready. All right. In your opinion, best trainer in boxing right now is? <laughs> Man. I ain't going to say nobody better than me, man. 
I'm gonna say Stephen Edwards. Okay. I can't. I mean, all right, there I can't, you I'm go. Not gonna say that was a layup. Than me, man. <laughs> that was That's a layup. layup. Like, <laughs> what you think I'm gonna say? <laughs> I can't say nobody better than me. Or I mean, I might say my old head, Virgil Hunter, but I can't. You okay. know, I'm gonna say like what you want me to say. I love it. That's not, I love it. All right, not the best fighter, but the most talented fighter you've trained is who? Talent. Most talented. Mm. Caleb Plant. Okay. Uh, is Philly still the best fighting city in America? By far. By far. Produced it. Okay. Just look at the names. By far. Okay. okay. So now it begs this question. Danny Garcia, Tevin Farmer, J-Rock, Stephen Fulton, Jerome Boots Ennis, the best fighter fighting out of Philly right now is who? Jerron Ennis. Gotta be honest. Wow. Last but not least, Breadman's next world champion will be Caleb Plant. There we go. Folks, that's what we do here on The Last Stand. We bring you the biggest names in the sport. And when you talk about training trainers, one of the best in the sport is that man right there, Stephen Breadman Edwards. Hey, man, I've been waiting to do this for a long time. I appreciate you taking some time out for us. You know you, my man, man. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Thank you. That's what we do, folks. We bring you the biggest names in the sport, like Stephen Edwards. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Hail Sunday, the NFL on CBS is back with a crazy talented crop of QBs out West, possible MVPs in the East, and matchups to remember. Sundays, the NFL is on CBS.